0: Leader talk. Leader talk. Leader talk. Leader talk. Leader talk.
1: Leader talk. Leader talk. Leader talk. Leader talk. Leader talk.
0: Hi, everyone. My name is Natalie Dawson. Welcome to Leader Talk. This show is proudly brought to you by Brainiac. Each week, we are meeting with incredible leaders from around the world to discuss all things leadership and business insights. Each person coming on this talk show has given up their valuable time for one very clear purpose, to give back to small and medium business owners. Now, many of us will agree that leaders come with different styles and qualities. In any business, regardless of its size, understanding leadership qualities has many advantages, Today, my co host, CEO of Peerlight, Gus Arianto, and I are fortunate to chat to our guest speaker, Professor, Dr. Ambassador Tal Edgars, a global strategist, multi award winner on global entrepreneurship, and diplomat with extensive awards and recognitions, especially on leadership and strategy. Professor Edgars is here today to provide his expertise on leadership styles and qualities that matter and this will help us all be better leaders. Welcome to the show, Professor Edgars.
2: Thank you so much, Natalie, for having me. Thank you so much for enabling time to be on this platform. Thank you, Gustav. Appreciate it.
1: Professor, Professor Edgars, uh, we can't say enough thank you for you donating your time. It's early morning uh, in South Africa, and uh, you are ready like you are already doing a 10 hours work early in the morning. So we are so jealous with your energy.
2: <laughs> we always start at 4am. This is nothing new. So that's 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 part of building a, a 24-hour business is constantly aligning it to where the world meets the demand.
0: That's amazing. And we are so keen to learn from you. So before we get into all our questions that we have for you, we were hoping, well, we are going to ask you two fun questions first that we ask all our guests. Okay. The first one that we have for you is where will we find you when you're not at work?
2: You'll find me with the kids. Um, unfortunately now they they tell me I'm not allowed to call them kids because they're adults but they're still my kids so if you don't find me at work you find me with the kids
1: hey fantastic
0: brilliant answer and what about if you can be at any animal at a safari safari for a day what animal would you choose to be and why
2: wow okay so two things here which are difficult is you said the word safari so I'm thinking poaching wrong I'd, 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 I'd try to be a vulture, a bird, something Ooh. that somebody can shoot down. Oh. That's a good
1: one, guys. We haven't heard that one before. <laughs> we never heard that one before.
2: <laughs> yeah, because everybody's always looking at animals that they're going to shoot down and each of them has got predators. So a bird failure is always that if you're a vulture, you hunt the prey and you're never eaten. So I'm playing off the synopsis of... The hierarchy of needs here.
1: (laughs) 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 What a brilliant answer! Yeah, brilliant.
0: Brilliant. Professor Edgars, you know, we've had a look at your LinkedIn. We've had a look at some papers you've written. We could not introduce you. So we're going to hand it over to you to tell everyone a little bit about yourself so we understand who you are and what you do.
2: All right. Thank you so much for asking that, Natalie. It is always the hardest task when you have to speak about yourself because you don't know what what really to say, Um, I I always like to position myself as a servant of the people. And the reason I do that is because everything that I do has an impact on society as it is. And so I'm a leader based on impact and not leader based on result, uh, because results can be given by anybody else. So in the context of life as it is, I have been in the diplomatic field. I still am for the last 15 years. I have worked within the structure of State Department, uh, United Nations, Special Envoy, to specific interests and, of course, now devolving that into having built a corporation for the last 28 years, starting in Washington, D.C., moving it into Germany and Russia and the United Kingdom and Africa. And along the way, of course, you, you, you started to learn that your people need you in so many other different and diverse areas. And so lecturing in terms of leadership and strategy and law became apparent as the bread child. Of everything that I needed, I needed to do. So, if you were to ask me in one sentence what I am, I am a constant student. Oh, you like
1: that one, um, best, right? Pro- oh, that just goes straight to my heart. Uh, uh, I have a coach, um, and uh, uh, when we tease your this session uh, in LinkedIn, uh, if you go to this LinkedIn, uh, there is uh, a woman. Uh, She's a professor as well, and she has a PhD from, uh, I think from Australia, University of Sydney, Uh, Graciela Schwarzberg, her name. She coached me for a long, long time, and her motto is also uh, forever students.
2: We fall in line with the idea that evidence available to us is that we are constantly reading and learning. So the world moves on the static of people believe that the world is static. It's rather fluid. So if you were to imagine anything, learning exchanges are as fluid as the world is. So student I am, uh, leader I can be better, but a student constantly. Yes,
1: and and, and it's funny when we talk about uh, forever students or forever learning in concept of that, uh, it's actually allow you to be very agile uh, as the, the, the world move, the business move. Uh, today you can be CEO, tomorrow you can be someone else that is not running a business and if you constantly aiming to learn, then everyone can be around you on the top or on the bottom or on the side. That, that that's just an amazing concept if we can execute it well. So that is true. I agree with you, Gustav. I agree with yeah. you. Yeah.
0: And even one of the guests that we had on, they were very strong when they said that we learn from every single person we interact with on a daily basis, isn't it? You don't even realize we're constantly learning.
2: We have to, because we are we are we are beings of imitation, right? Um, there's a saying that says that you look at what you do and your children will never fully understand by what they see, but what they imitate. So the imitation part is what small business owners do not understand. we We are imbibed by the imitation of what we see big business doing. um if if Nike can be able to grow its business from twenty six billion to forty six billion, what is a small business learning from that? And so that power of imitation, is supposed to be able to be transmuted into small businesses. So it's important. That idea of constantly learning is important.
0: I love the way you explain that. Fantastic. And Professor Edgar, before we go on and ask you about leadership, there was something that I noticed on your LinkedIn. And for anyone listening that hasn't checked out Professor Edgar's LinkedIn, I suggest you do. There's there's a way right on your banner. It says, you're an economist, scholar and leading strategist. But then it's the next line that got me. Known for thorough analysis, horizon scanning, thought leadership, knowledge production and insights. Now, horizon scanning, it's not a very common term that small and medium business owners are quite used to. Are you able to give us just a bit of an idea of what is this and how a small or medium business owner could use horizon scanning to their advantage?
2: Well, thank you, Natalie. I think the first thing that we have to ask is there is a popular culprit of subjectivism in in the world that we live in today and moral relativism. So the doctrine of envelopment, I'll start with that as as a precursor to to underpinning it to what you've just asked. There's something we call the doctrine of envelopment, and we used to use it in the US Army. So the primary offensive doctrine of the US Army was the FM 105, which was published under the operations manual. So we'd speak of it. It was an army keystone fighting manual. Now, what do I mean by that? We used to look at Five scenarios over a long term period of five to 10 years. Now, if you're to think as a soldier, we can never fully understand looking at a fighting manual on the right now basis. So, rapid response is not part of what we do. That's part of firefighting, not part of the military. The military has to horizon scan rapid threats to the soldiers and everything else within the country. Now, take that back into a small business and think about it the same way. If we were to take COVID as it is, that COVID tested whether or not small businesses have got what they know as rapid response to threats. If you look at all the strategic plans you've ever come across, biases, half of them are going to talk about the do's and don'ts. Okay, Um, The business case is based on what are we doing? What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? Now, the world disrupted all of that. And now the question is, what is going on? What is going to go on? And we are so stuck in the century and we forget what happened in the millennium. Now, horizon scanning borrows everything that you get from the century millennium, and then we strategically push it forward into a banning platform of the future. So when people are talking about artificial intelligence and everything of the like, we saw this coming, but it's not a threat to small business. In fact, it should enhance the conversations and debate around operations for small business. But why are we not doing it? Because small business owners have got more information, less knowledge. Ooh, yes. This is wow. why I asked the question.
0: <laughs> I knew mine was a much easier. Mine was very simple, but when you put it in that context, it really brings it to life.
1: And that's it, another topic alone. And
2: and and we don't think about that. Think about this this way: you're a parent, you've got children. The understanding that most of the strategies are listed as goals and sub-goals and not strategies is important. So the first thing you're thinking about is how do I work around the tyranny of numbers for my own children? Your child will go to college. You start preparing for college when they're still teenagers. So why do do small business owners ignore the same? Your small business is like your baby. I, I want to know when it gets to maturity phase what is going to be needed. But I don't want to talk about it when I get to maturity phase. I want to talk about it right now, here. I want to be able to establish the grounds as to what is going to be important in terms of the pertinent conversations I need to have. But I need to have them here. I need to talk about the structures of leadership and the structures of risk and governance, the ESG debates. But business owners have been known, and I've asked this question a hundred times over in so many different conferences, how many business owners have of actually being able to see the business laws that apply to them as business owners. They don't know. We only know them when you get into court. So now you're thinking, okay, we are in litigation. These are actually the things that are going wrong. Why don't we first establish that as part of the contracting world of small business? What do I need to know? And that's important.
1: Yeah, Professor Edgis, that's absolutely right. You know, it just hits me when you put it in the context of when we have a children, we think about the college when they are still on year three. We already think even the amount of money of the university. And when we have a business, we actually refuse to think what happened five years from now because one of the reasons it's scary. So for business owners out there, I think one key takeaways that I can take here is whether it's about business law or whether it's about your budgeting when you are growing, uh, have to be discussed somewhere, somehow, somewhat. But be that as it
2: may, and permit me to say, Gustav, fear is not part of small business. Fear is part of big business. Now, in the world of science and medical, in our brain, we have what we call the PCF, right here, right on the front, it's a cortex. It filters all information. So you can imagine in 60 seconds, you've got 140,000 images that it prints right straight to your mind. Now, the only time it doesn't know how to respond is when it has less information. If you had all the information at your fingertips, you would make decisions like that. The only time you fear is when you don't know what you're doing. So that's exactly where we are at Small Business is we have all this information and getting it down to knowledge production. What are the key important matters? of a small business? Is it a problem of leadership? Is it an institutional structure? Is it a shortened time horizon? The confusion between strategy and strategy goals is becoming evidently more possible. And that is why when people say they fear, no, that's not the direct answer they're saying. They're challenging the rules of the game. And as they challenge them, they start to find out that the rules did not apply because there was no information about that industry. It's a whole new novel idea and that's why novel ideas are thriving because nobody can stop them. Bitcoin has got it doesn't have the same idea as what we have in cryptocurrencies or digital currencies. Blockchain why is it moving faster? It's a novel idea. The static idea of education will fail us. As we grow so much the education we have, so much the practices we have.
0: Definitely. And you know you mentioned leadership and I do want to ask you because ethical leadership is one area you are passionate about and I think it's so important for our listeners to understand and even Gus I know I want to understand this as well uh, you know from yourself ethical leadership before we begin discussing it what is ethical leadership and why is it so important and you know we're talking about small and medium businesses but it's not just for small and medium it's for ethical leadership is for all leaders so what is it and why is it so important
1: Maybe before before, if you don't buy Natalie, I'm jumping in. Uh, if Professor Edgar's can actually, because you are experienced dealing in many countries, giving seminars to businesses, why even leadership matter and subject important for small business? Like I mean, uh, people talk about leadership if they are working in the big organization because there's a structures. Uh, uh, I'm a mechanic. I have a motor car mechanics with two people, me and uh, Johnny and Adam, for example. Uh, why leadership matter for us to learn, Professor Edgis? Thank you so
2: much for that question, Natalie and Gustav, for just painting the picture. So because you've done the evident idea of actually figuratively showing me the picture, I'd like to paint it further. If you have, by any chance, paid attention to William Shakespeare's 1594 play, Juliet, And they ask, what is in a name? And they say, he who steals my purse steals trash. But he that filches from me my good name robs me of that which enriches him not and makes me poor indeed. What that means is there's power in a name. Now, leadership is not simply about the construction of the psychological, sociological perspective. Leadership identity is based on the psychological components. And leadership persona is based on the sociological element. If we are to follow keenly, why we need that as a business is because leadership is continuously being eroded and many people are taking and are wrestling that moral advantage, right? If you were to look at everything that is happening in the world, many leaders are challenging the rules of the game. Paradoxically, they're using them for their greater good. Some of them have known the law very well and invite, even seek its sanctions by deliberately violating it for a higher truth. So a small business, if there's anything we bring to our table, is integrity. If you were to remember, Kinley, when you started your small business, the first thing everybody wanted to know is, who have you worked with? It wasn't primarily about what your balance sheet looked like, because at that point it wasn't important. And be that as it may, the evidence available to us and all in Sundra is that the idea of wealth post-COVID is not the value of your balance sheet. It's the value of your interpersonal relationships. So interpersonal relationships are driven by the fact that integrity comes first. If we do not have ethical leadership, small businesses would not be able to scale, they'd not be able to grow, because part of big business is in challenging that everything that is happening in the boardroom is driven by the leaders in the organization. And small business must not be under the idea or premonition that being small allows us to operate without certain construments of law. The technical arrangement is rather different, but the application is the same. Small business must begin with the idea of ethical leadership, ethical practices, ethical thinking, ethical strategy, because for as long as we start underpinning that, we might as well not be ready for a new economy.
0: And it's really interesting. And well, if, I know, and if we were, when we talk about ethical leadership, are there specific elements that make up ethical leadership? You mentioned integrity as one. Is there anything else that actually, you know, if we were to pull it apart, that characterises ethical leadership?
2: So let's reverse engineer a couple of things around the world, right? Um, I'm, I'm in the world of science and law, so I pay a lot of attention to things like that. Um, we are living in a world of radical uncertainty. And the truth is, right now, small businesses are challenged by the notion of holo corporation. Holo corporations like Uber, Airbnb. Nowadays, assets as part of your balance sheet doesn't make a lot of sense. You can have a global unicorn business and you have nothing to show for it. So the biggest challenge has become, what is it that we have to put in terms of selling the business, in terms of structuring the business. So the first thing is integrity. You must be the first person that you can hold yourself accountable. Do I meet the... And and there's got to be a bar. There's got to be a bar and a standard that when we say we are business owners, that we cannot fall short of. But I am afraid that the words have been overused and some have been chipped in imitation. That when we say business owners, it has become a prerequisite to you just having a side hassle, as the youngsters would put it, right? The next is merit. What do you really bring to the table? And I am very often at a disadvantage when people tell me, you know what, but data shows. Data is an artificial advantage in a boardroom. Far from that, it doesn't mean anything else to me. Merit, the idea of meritocracy is important. The next part is diversity. And diversity, I don't mean it in the mechanical terms. Cognitive diversity over superficial diversity. That is going to be the importance of it. And rather than the last part of it is an idea of unique capabilities. We are living in a modern company where the information symmetry between board and operations, even in small business, is going to constantly be challenged. So what unique capabilities does a modern company have that you can drive, you can scale, you can grow? And in a world of uncertainty, what do you have to match it to? I call them the five capitals of resilience. They're intrinsically or extrinsically uh, motivated. So there's the financial one, there's the cognitive one, which is matched expertise versus experiences. There's the moral high ground, there's the emotional part. All of these things add up to what would form your ethical leadership. And there must be a component of that in every organization today.
1: You start by saying small business must start with ethical leadership and ethical behavior uh, as a business. Because once you do that, you allow yourself to grow, especially when you have one of the elements. And I just want to talk about this element, uh, maybe a couple of the elements, integrity and diversity, for example, just on this top. If I'm someone that going to a uh, fish and chips, uh, maybe not that, if I am someone that going to a hamburger small restaurant how do I how do I smell look understand from the outside that you are an ethical business owner and an ethical business how how, how integrity because everyone talk about integrity until commercially hits and there is many, many examples where the, you know, the case of, uh, and I'm bringing the, the the topic that common, you know, whether it's Volkswagen with the CEO uh, calculation, you know, like ethical, uh, these big, big companies talk about integrity for how long I can remember, yet many companies still fall. So how do you, where do you look at integrity if you are the out, someone outside that business?
2: Very good question to ask, Gustav, and I'll play out, um, well, it's actually a Mandarin proverb, but also in Africa, we've got something similar. Characters like pregnancy, you can't hide it. In business, we transmute the elements of us as leaders into the business. If you were to ever pay attention, Virgin Atlantic, half of its passions, half of its derived mission and goals are similar to the owner of the business. Somehow he just transmuted everything about himself, and he put it into the business. So you can plug and play, right? The tyranny of merit is in such a way what's become of common good. Me relating to you right now, it wouldn't take us longer than an hour before we have established that we are actually having commonly good practice. So common good practice is not something you have to sell to me. It is something based on your approach. It is something based on what you say. It is something based on your promissory, the promise that we put out to the world with intentions of legal structure. Of course, that is a different argument. But even if you were to go to the large corporations today, the reason we buy from these stores is a promise. A promise that if anything were to go wrong, you would return my product and my money. Small businesses don't want to listen to this. They want to take the money and then we have to chase you down for everything else. And that is why people are very, 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 very afraid when they are told, you know, you're doing business with a small business. Um, They're not going to give time to organizations like small businesses to succeed because of the fear of risk, reputational risk. Now, let's follow the word reputation, then take away the word risk. What is reputation? Delight, reliability, face, look, touch, feel, taste, all of those things. The reason you walk into certain stores has got nothing to do with anything. So playback, fMRI, Tests that were done between Coke and you know Pepsi years back. Everybody was blindfolded and they opened a can, and they were asked, "What do you think it was?" And everybody said, "It's Coke," even though it was Pepsi. Why? Emotional beings. We are dealing with emotional beings. They drew in their experiences with a the brand. They drew in their experiences with a sound, sonic branding. They drew in their experiences with what they felt about every noise that had that pop even if it was not true. So whatever you put out to the world, understand this, that it matters not what you say, it matters what they think. If a duck swims like a duck and looks like a dog, people will mistrust it. Okay,
1: okay. Okay, so we can put, uh, as a a small business, we can put any logo, trust us, we have... uh, the best quality meats and blah 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 but the minute someone bites that burger and it feels like it's a packet meat then they will never come back
2: they will never come back because we don't have a buyer's remorse um budget a small business so if i buy from gustav and i buy from natalie and unfortunately the experience was horrible i'm not going to come back but if i do that with amazon They've got tons of dollars that they can re-engineer the feeling for me to say, no, but I'm missing out. They've got more specials than anything else. So they know how to get you back. But small business, we have a once-off cut to make it to the finish line. And if you're going to do it right, you have to start with, first of all, the elements of ethical and integrity before you can mix all these other vox pops of how you look and how you feel. How they imagine you to be is always going to be more important
1: and how about diversity you talk about diversity is not only uh, what's the term do you use um, if i'm not mistaken trying to understand what you say it's you also think talking about diversity is not only the look the physical but also diversity of thought is that what yeah. you refer to so,
2: so so um and and of course i'm going to make a lot of enemies but i'm used to it right um When we talk about diversity, we're thinking about how many women do we have in the organization. And it seems we have crossed the Rubicon and we've burnt our boots while we're thinking that way, because this is where I'm coming from. If we are to create any leadership in small business and we're saying we want to impact small business owners who are female by 2035 and they need to be set a number, the first thing I have to do is, again, reverse engineer every conversation I'm having. What kind of leadership is needed to produce 500 women leaders in a span of five years? If we cannot answer that, then everything we're doing is based on a tick box exercise. It's a window dressing exercise, if anything else. It's just about a matter of filling in the numbers. And there's a professor friend of mine who quite rightfully said, if you were to look at the lived in experiences of women in corporate and then transmute that to the women who are actually as business owners, they might be in the places by their lack of voice. So it's, it's not addressing the issue at hand. It is addressing the optics. We have a lot of women in government, and we have a lot of women who are business owners, and we have a, but it is not addressing the issue that we have. And that is why I'm saying we cannot speak of diversity in the mechanical terms, right? It needs to be cognitive diversity over superficial diversity. When we look at balance sheets, even a small business, there's so much that small business owners are not told, right? Until you get listed as a company or until you hit a certain, you know, e then you start talking of those things in a boardroom the competencies of directors. It is only small business owners who have actually learned not to get trained. If you were to pick out of 50 business owners, 2% of them have never been part of intense training. They have no knowledge of finance. They have no knowledge of law. They have no knowledge of operations. All they know is what they came with in that room, and that's the degree they have. Are we saying we are growing organizations which lack the idea of demand? on learning and learning on demand, because as small business directors, I want to know what the CEO of Apple knows. I, I, I really do want to know. I, it doesn't need to take, you know, uh, COVID for me to learn that, because those practices are important to the small business. As we reengineer, as we pivot, as we adapt, we need to be able to do that with more knowledge and more information than just information. Tomorrow morning, they say, look, small businesses, they've stopped exports to Australia. Oh, my goodness, small businesses start running around. So what's the alternative if we're not allowed to export? You can think like that. We must have hybrid areas of thought in the organizations. As much as we are practicing the Marcus Aurelius script of gratitude, we might as well start thinking horizon scanning is part and parcel of our everyday standards.
0: So it's it's interesting, and and Gus, I I was just when you were uh, talking about this, it reminded me of a guest we had on who was very passionate about diversity of thought, to the extent that they were a leader of their organization, to the extent that when they recruit new members into their company, uh, I can't remember CEO of a big company, uh, I don't want to quote them because I I can't remember who it was, but they make sure that they can't identify when they check the CVs they don't know the gender the gender the nationality the age there's no photo they just want to see what they will bring to the table and that is how they look so they don't they can't identify gender age background ethnicity anything but it's what can they bring to the organization and what you just said now really you know, reminded me of that conversation and how important it is when we're talking about diversity of thought. We're not just focusing on gender. We are focusing on what that person can bring.
2: Yeah, and, and, and I do that every single day. So when we're talking about investors and everything of the like, I, I meet so many small business owners who bring me their business plans and I tear them up, okay? And, and the reason I do that is because it's very key. Whatever you've written will never happen. <laughs> I don't know, but most people will understand that. I don't care how many projections you've created they will never happen that way because business is a practice that has to be revised on a daily standard you cannot sleep it's like you saying you brush your teeth and then you'll never brush them again so I, I find it very hard that business is as close an identity it is as to humanity in itself as a human being you need to eat you need to sleep and you need to work business is kind of similar to that if it doesn't work it doesn't eat it doesn't sleep a business doesn't thrive, you suffocate it, and that's what we call the bamboo theory. The bamboo theory, as many would have known it, is that the bamboo stays right below the ground for six years, nothing comes out. But the standard is you must water it every single day. And on the 68th, we'll shoot up nine feet tall. Now, small business is the same. We want, we I, I call it the microwave mentality. It's a here now. We want things right now, right here. If I come to Gustav and we're doing business, I want you to give me my check right now, right here. I don't want to earn that trust. I don't want to earn that applicability of time. The dividend of time is not part of our investment schedule. We invest on the here and now. And if we are to grow small business, if anything is to be important to them, then I must point them away from mathematical demonstration and tell them, look here, the only way you can understand how to be a business owner through merit. Is to build and build and build, and those blocks don't stop. You have to keep building.
1: Yeah, yeah. Professor Edges, um, uh can I can I be a devil advocate here? Uh, you said before many people don't like you already, so I will add this. I will add this. <laughs> will add this. <laughs> you know, everything that you say, uh, I I can't agree more. But as a, if I put myself as the representation of uh, small business owners, we wake up in the morning because we are small. We don't have uh, executive assistants. We have to purchase our goods. We have to deliver it. We have to work. We have to clean up. We have to think, by the time we finish the day, it's nine o'clock at night. We have what you suggested before. We have to to understand the power of imitation because because there is big business that can show us a lot of key element of success. However, that's required learning time. Not to mention, you mentioned about so many business, small business that learn about business law when they are in the room of the court because of a problem. I don't have time, Professor Edgar. I'm tired to the ground. Tell me what happened if I don't do this?
2: All right. So first off, and thanks, Gustav, for making it even more. We are applying it to the normal man and and a one one standard kind of unit. You're tired. If you don't do, you'll die. That's the world of radical uncertainty. You either do the work or you die. Um, Why am I saying that? And I'm unapologetic about it. Anybody who can attend to their business and they want to work five jobs in one day and they believe they're an actual business, then they're wrong. So there are two things, two elements we have to separate. There's a difference between a business and an organization. Small business owners have come to the thought that just because they're allowed to be called small business means they're small. No, that's not the idea. You must be able to apply your mind in building systems, processes, to allow you to stop working inside the organization and work on it, right? And that's what most CEOs of business business owners do. We spend so much time working inside the business. Eight to five, we are inside the business. Monday to Sunday, we are in the business. What time do you have to sit back outside and look at it? So then let me play you the scenario as it is. If we were to reverse engineer Uber and 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 I'll implore both of you because it, it's something you 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 probably have as well experienced. All of us have been around the world and we want to enter a car and we don't want to talk to the driver and we want to make sure we can pay you without you having to yell back at us. And we want to see the destination of where we are going to because sometimes you're in a country where you don't know the way. All you have to do is reverse engineer the entire platform and you'll find out he was only correcting one thing at a time. He gave a solution based on a human need. And once you can address the human need, there's nothing about a small organization. Apply your mind to what it looks like as McDonald's, a 100-year-old business, thriving, has been there. You and I know. Every corner of the world you go, you'll find a McDonald's. They applied their mind to the idea of fast food. So if you go and you order McDonald's today, it will take you practically around three to four minutes to get a burger, fries, and a Coke, cold drink, whichever one you have, right? Everywhere around the world, three to four minutes, standard. Fast food, Shake Shack, woke up and they decided to balance the narrative and now theirs is about food first. They realized we're in a world of unhealthy people, obese people, people are exercising more. So now they decided to reverse engineer what we're doing. In only six months of a startup, they have been able to trump an 100-year-old business on turnover, six months operation. What does that tell you? There's nothing about a small business. Every small business has an opportunity to be a bigger business if it allows itself to look at the structure and look at the processes it has and say, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to achieve? Most of the time, we are very quick to describe the destination. Five to 10 years from now, this is what leader talk will look like. We describe the destination, the journey, not quite interested of how we will achieve that. But I am more and more critical about the journey because there are avenues that I need to stop by that might potentially change what my destination looks like.
1: You know, Professor Edgers, uh while you're talking, I, I've been writing and correcting myself continuously. Uh, Natalie always said to me after every <laughs> session, and this is not our first, and I, let me right. just embarrass myself here because... Because this is true, I've been writing, and you can see I'm writing and i correcting. As I'm learning, as I'm listening to you, I will not be able to give justice to summarize what you say, because I need to re-listen to this and to share it again, because it's so insightful. For example, just now you said there is no actually small business if you can apply and understand a human needs. You can grow so quickly that that small business become big. Now, I I can summarize. It's funny enough, I can give a little bit now, but in half an hour, I will forget that. But it's so insightful. I never heard something like this in my career. Never once. Thank you. Never once. Thank Thank you for that.
2: Thank you for that. I dwell dwell in the mind of the devil's advocate. Well, yeah, (laughs) I... So
1: I, I, will, I will apologize first because I will have the shortest summary compared to all the 450 episodes prior because Natalie and I have to really, really deconstruct this because it's so insightful just on the first half of the topic, which is ethical leadership and we can go for 3 hours. On this.
0: Oh we could we haven't even touched on strategic leadership but I do want to I did write this down because we have a lot of listeners that are tuning in at the moment and for all those that are listening they know they're not ethical leaders at the moment is ethical leadership professor edgar something that can be learned and if it can what would be just the first step that these listeners can do to become ethical leaders? Because everything you've said is just so inspiring. And anyone listening, of course, would want to be an ethical leader. So it's a twofold question. Is it something that can be learnt? And if so, what is our first step to becoming an ethical leader?
2: So uh, I'll, I'll try to do justice to this question because in, in in a matter of asking two questions, you've actually asked ten. And I, I need to be <laughs> careful about how I approach this, Natalie. I can see you're, you're the Jedi mind. So. When, you, when your child is born, every child in the world, they, they are born with only two fears, the fear of darkness and the fear of falling. Everything else that we learn, we learn through our parallel confabulations, our learning experiences, our lived experiences. So can you learn integrity? You cannot learn integrity. You are already a human being. It's part of you. You only need to advance yourself in an area of integrity. Now, A popular culprit, like I said before, is subjectivism and moral relativism of our day. People like Justice Herlin, giving the doctrinaire statement, once said, one man's vulgarity is another's lyric. Now, with a man in the street, they like to appeal to a supreme court of self. Business owners, we suffer more for that. My opinion is as good as yours. What happens? Ethics and integrity suffers. Let us ask ourselves, as we are here now, that What are the common practices that we ignore as business owners? Very simple. You have a business. You are double checking in your checking account, in your savings account. You're taking money for the business, and you're applying it to your personal needs. Level one, you know you're doing it, but you have a supreme court of self. You have a reasoning that is telling you it's okay. Practice it. Another part of it is you decide, hey, why don't I bring my spouse into the business? Because it's a business I can as well bring in family. There you go. You ignore the good of the notion of the construct of law. And there is a maxim in law that says the minimus rule. Of small things, the law has no cure. This is one. If you bring your wife into an organization and your children and you ignore the fallacy of whether or not this organization will grow because of what you've seen big businesses do, Trump, Bloomberg, and the rest then you are ignoring something very big. Because if you are to go into those organizations, they've got recruitment policies. They have got certain things that say, if this happens, what will be done? In small business, we only apply ourselves once the wrong has already been done. The deed is done. So Gustav is here and he tells me, no, look, you're the chairman of the organization. Your son has taken out finances. Now we need to apply our mind. Supreme Court of Self. So what must we stop doing? Supreme Court of self, in my opinion, is as good as yours. No, it's not. It has to get down and dirty to the science, the fundamentals of business. A business is, first of all, registered by law. A business operates under a legal, as a legal entity in a legal jurisprudence. Then why would the business then grow without the legalities? There must be legalities. There must be cause and effect. That if you do this, you do that. If this happens, even as a leader, myself, I must be pointed down to book. We must hold business owners accountable. And we don't know how to do that. Small businesses get away with certain things that would ache your mind. They do what they want to do. They close their businesses at lunch and they go for lunch and it's good. I'm, I'm thinking, wait a minute. Um, you have customers, you know that, right? And you promised them that you will constantly be here to deliver. that delivery is a promise that can be taken to book. And if small business owners remember that, that they jointly have the notion of formidable standing, then you will start to operate in that way. And there's a saying that says, look at a man as he is and he will never change, but look at a man as he, who he should become. And he slowly starts to gravitate towards that notion.
0: What a brilliant answer. And I'm just looking at the time because we've just stuck on ethical leadership. It has just been an amazing, amazing topic. I think we could talk about this one for another hour. But, Gus, I know we want to touch on strategic leadership as well. Is there anything specific you want to ask about it, Gus, because we don't have much time
1: left? We all understand the word strategic, I guess. It's been used, uh, you know, the word strategic been used since 1,000 years ago when people want to go to war, maybe. However, strategic leadership is more than a leader being strategic. Am I right by saying that, Professor Yes. It's more than a leader being strategic to win a customer. Maybe could you please elaborate what is a strategic leadership is about? Let's start with that
2: comprehensively, and thank you, Gus, for asking that. Comprehensively, we like to tear apart things. And I think we're really in the world of Lego. I, I say that with, with too much care to the world. We, we like playing a lot with things, you know, and that's the new world order post-COVID. Um, the doctrine of responding to the rise in unemployment by creating a pool of small and medium-sized businesses in itself is not a correct approach, because most of them are already playing within the periphery of, of the economy and not the epicenter of it. And we're gonna fail because we are we are we are attracted to the fluff, and the fluff masquerades itself as expertise, thought, analysis. Let's get down to the basics of it. What is strategy supposed to deliver? A lot of people tell me, you know what, prof, um it's supposed to deliver goals. I don't think so. It's supposed to deliver sub-goals. No, the end result of a strategy comprehensive roadmap. And by comprehensive, really in the word of it, that would then take into consideration how to achieve the stated goals and get to an actual destination. It describes the entire entire journey. Now, be that as it may, I want to paint a picture because I I dwell in the world of slightly vexing aphorisms. If I, by any chance, stopped and I said, hey, Natalie, why don't you come into my car? We are driving to a specific area. And then Natalie looks at the GPS and decides, wait a minute. The GPS said we must turn right. And I decided to keep driving. Natalie becomes a little bit apprehensive about it. Then Gustav starts calling us and saying, where are you people? I'm saying we are 30 minutes out. But Gustav doesn't have anything on his side that is telling him, how long will it really take them to arrive? I have just painted to the three of us here and to the rest of the viewers and listeners that strategy is about bringing people into a process for as long as strategy is in your head, it isn't nothing but goals, aspirations, dreams, and each of those. I have to draw people into my mind, paint a picture, state how we are going to get there and what we are going to achieve and what's the desired impact and how long can we sustain that thought before anybody else would come in, and then we would bust the flame. Wherever an organization has succeeded greatly, there's also at the same time either blocked of competition, and that always holds a temporary monopoly. So in strategy, it's about a doctrine of lapse. If I don't do, another person will do. So the story of Nike versus Reebok and Adidas, I'd paint the picture a whole day, but then you'd understand why it's important. That strategy is not just a piece of paper. It's an everyday living standard. It continues revising itself as you learn and pivot and adapt. And you take all the lived experiences of the people you work with, and you take all the categories of the societies that you work with, and you start to paint a picture, and you keep on reinventing it, and you keep on reinventing it until you get to a point that the organization rotates by itself. It listens and moves. It listens and moves. For as long as it can do that, strategy is achieved.
0: What a wonderful way to explain it. Professor Edgers, if we were to go and just, you know, paint the picture a little bit further for the uh, listeners or viewers, however you're um, tuning in today, the key skills of strategic leadership, are there any specific skills that you can highlight for them to better understand it?
2: So for, for for me, I always painted it down and I said, I like painting a picture. I'm a storyteller. This is what you have to learn as a business owner. You have to tell your story. You have to learn how to sell your company. Uh, I am, I'm, I'm versed in the art of war. That's what I know very well. So if you are to put a turtle in water and the turtle starts moving and the water shows vibrations, then there's an alarming threat. Now, the art of war from Shanzu picked that up and now they created it better. For most of the people in martial arts, it's the same thing. The direction of your chi flows from everything, your yin and yang, as you call it. The whole idea of containing the structure of a strategy must first of all be that you have the diagnosis of it. What is wrong? And, and, And even when you go to a doctor, they ask you about history, right? Your parents, your wife, and businesses don't ask that. Small business owners, before you start a business, ask the history. I mean, insurance, what happens in insurance? What has been the story in the insurance business? What is my history? Follow the business case, not the business. You can start any business today in the morning, but follow the business case. The second one would be a guiding policy. How do we get to a certain point? A guiding policy that is driven and then a coherent action. All of these things can be drawn down to what we call the cascading principles, but that's that's a very long conversation to have. I'm going to say the four hallmarks of a bad strategy. People have been told everything about a good strategy. I want to show you four things that will tell you you have a bad strategy. Number one is the fluff. All the gibberish masquerading as strategic concepts and arguments, and they use you know the Sunday words, words that are inflated and unnecessary, abstruse. You know, um, you would hear about the seven ways of management. Management by walking around. Look. All these things are practices that everybody else has developed. I'm not going to say they are wrong, but I'm going to say if you're developing a strategy, cut out the fluff. I've seen 200-page strategies. I need a one-pager. There's no need for us to know all the English that we can put down fine enough. We know that we we can deliver speeches with tireless verbosity, but let us minimize that when we're small business owners. We need to speak to the business. The other one is failure to face the challenge. If you cannot recognize or define the challenge, if you cannot define a challenge, you cannot evaluate or improve a strategy. Constantly define your challenge. What is it that you want to define? The other part is mistaking goals for strategy. Many bad strategies are just statements of desire rather than plans of overcoming obstacles. And if you look at some of them now, you probably will start laughing because you've seen them somewhere, right, where people really put the statements of desire. We want to be the top empowered company. I don't know if empowered company, you can really be accountable because how do you hold a result? What's the result of a top empowered company? What's the result? It it has to to be a number. Are we talking 200 people? Are we talking that in a vertical market, we'll have established that 200 people, we have moved them from low middle class and they're now within the upper percentile? I mean, mean, we've got to have a quantity that we're working with. The other one is just bad strategic objectives. A strategic objective set by a ladder as a means to an end. So you, you sit and you say if they do not address critical issues or when they're impractical, you, you can't practice them. You cannot deliver on them. And one of them I just said now, where we are saying we need twenty three quarters of the leadership to be women. What are you talking about? Um, and, and often I have seen this happen. Bad leaders in good position and good leaders in bad position. And that is the uh, Critical idea of bad strategy when we cannot define the challenge and we have created a hallmark of a ladder that speaks to desires we have rather than to set impacts we cannot hold anybody accountable we cannot hold any country accountable we cannot hold any leader accountable often than not I get into a boardroom and the people tell me what is the chairman what does the chairman want to do in in you know in a boardroom and from the time my business had one person to the time it has grown to what it is, I've always had a board. Why? Because there must be somebody who looks from the outside in and tells you, gas, we are stopping there. I think this this is becoming more personal than it is becoming more objective. And that's what is important to a strategy.
0: What a wonderful <laughs> answer. You know when you when you said this just from the very beginning, when you mentioned you know cutting out the fluff, it reminded it took me back to, you know, as a copywriter, we write a lot of communication plans, and I'm very big on a plan on a page. Just cut out all the fluff and give it to me on a page, not twenty pages. So when we talk about cutting out the fluff, I completely understand that. I'm sure many of our listeners can as and, well. And just and really and to add to on to point. that,
2: we must be very fearful of the idea that strategy sometimes can attract marriages of convenience. And by that, I'm I'm fondly reminded if if you're a puritan of literature that in a marriage of convenience, the couples will sleep in the same bed, but have different dreams. We must be careful of everything that we think happens in big business and we try to imitate it. Because small businesses meet up and now the new word has become collaboration. We must collaborate. Collaborate with a sent intention, with an impact and a result, but not collaborate out of convenience. Because a vision plus a vision is division. There's no way it's gonna make one thing and so two organizations trying to grow together but each of them has different visions they are always going to go separate ways
0: i love that vision plus vision equals division fantastic and look professor edgars we have gone over time there are so many more questions we could have asked but gus i'm actually going to give you a challenging task of wrapping this up for us and giving us a summary of all the wonderful things we've learned today So I'm going to hand over to Matt
1: and Professor Edgar. I in uh, I invite you when you have the time to see our first fifty episodes. Um, Hardly I'm challenged uh, to actually summarize a conversation. Today is actually the first. There's always the first where I'm struggling to uh, to give justice to a lot of your insight and thought, uh, as I really try to focus in what you say, because it's really uh, insightful. Uh, so let me just grab the key things instead of trying to get to to share a lot of things. At the start of the conversation, Professor Edgers, you said, leader based on impact, not on result. I will use this. I, as a leader myself, leading an organization's I think that's very, very insightful. If we are a business, if we own a business, first understand the impact that you want mm-hmm. to make the, to the business that you built, right. that's, that's, that's very insightful for me because everyone can give result, but impact mm-hmm. is so special. I love that. Power of imitation is key for any small business but you need to spend the time to learn. Why do you learn when you have a problem? Why do you learn about law? And why do you learn about how to, to, to combat someone suing you when it's already happened? It's kind of too late because mm-hmm. no one cook at your burger place now because you are in the courtroom. You need to spend exactly. the time. And you give right. no, no uh, if I remember half an hour ago, you give no uh, pity to people that don't want to learn. You don't learn, you die. You don't put the investment now, you die. You don't think yeah. about how to pay your child tuition when they are arrived in the university. You need to Indeed. think about now. Yeah. Then you talk about ethical leadership, and the key words that I really take is about integrity. Integrity is the one thing that you really focus on. Uh yeah. integrity is not something you can write. Hey. Yeah. I'm selling burger with the best meat come from sustainable cow. But then when someone bite that burger, it's a frozen meat from a can. Then you're not running your business with integrity for, to start with. And I think we can go deeper in that. I invite everyone to watch the, the whole episode again around this because I will do it again. But I think that's the key thing as well. I like when you say small business have to elevate and think about, think above the business itself, because then it's allow you to looking from the above the situation of the business. So allow you to grow. I like that one. Then you're going to the strategic leadership, and then we talk about strategy, and then we talk about, instead of talking about what is a good strategy, you're talking about bad strategy, and then. You say, number one, cut the fly. You are a small business. Simplify. Use your time to learn about business law instead of writing twenty pages of something. Make it one. Right. Right. Number two, your failure of facing the challenge. But before that, let's let's make sure that you even understand what you challenge what's your challenge. Everyone talk about COVID. Is that really true? That's your challenge about COVID? Mm-hmm. Because you might not mm-hmm. have any challenge because it's proven there's a lot of business thrive and successful. There's business that fail But everyone talk about COVID is a challenge.
2: Right, right.
1: Bad strategic objective, inability to actually even have the right objective. You need to spend the time. And then once again, inability to define the challenge and then you close it that vision plus vision is divisions and I think that's really really strong. Professor Edgers I think we learned so much in the last one hour. Uh we, Natalie, myself, and her husband, uh Jared Dawson, uh, cannot say enough thank you. Uh for you to help us. We are a, we're not even a business. We for, for us this is we're donating our time and and we have a mission that this will always continue as a non-commercial podcast and for world influencer like yourself coming to our podcast, sharing your thought. We cannot say enough. Thank you. And thank you for helping small and medium business all over the world.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Gustav. I think there's just one thing I missed out and I'd want to applaud what you're doing. Natalie, great stuff you're doing there, Gustav. It's brilliant what you're doing. And this is something that I just want to mirror back to small businesses. Be intentional, right? be intentional. It doesn't matter how you start, where you start, just get started, but be intentional when you start. And one of the things about being intentional is you don't have to have all the things right, but at least you've started. So you're already putting yourself up to be questioned and then be ready to be accountable. Don't build a business if you're not ready for people to talk about it, because when people talk about it, they won't so sweet things always. So When it's always difficult when you see small business owners sitting somewhere and saying, no, I wasn't ready for them to say, Natalie can't write things properly or Gustav, you know, in engineering, there have been leaders and whatnot. What you guys are doing is important. Business owners are not producing new knowledge. It's only 2.3% of business owners in the entire world who are actually churning out new knowledge. And we need to know. They need to know. They need to know the challenges of small business, the disruption of small business. The, the advancement of small business and why small business is not a part of major economies and what you guys are doing is important. And I'm glad that you you took out the time to invite me to, to share my two cents on this platform. Oh, thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you on the show and I have definitely learned a lot and I know everyone else out there listening has. So thank you so much, Professor Edgars.
2: Thank you, Natalie. Thank you, staff.
0: And thank you everyone for tuning in for more information on Leader Talk and for some great resources to help your business grow. Check out brainiac.com.au. Thanks everyone. Leader Talk. Leader Talk.
1: Leader Talk. Leader Talk. Leader Talk. Leader Talk. Leader Talk. Leader Talk.